Now, Turnbuckles, Trunks, and Titles presents to you Nicholas London and Q-Ball Carmichael. Jimmy let me be part of it. 
Uh, Ray Drew from the NFL was there. Uh, has played with Atlanta, has played with Green Bay, Detroit, Philadelphia, a couple other teams. Has had a successful NFL career. And then uh, the drive home, got to stop in Myrtle Beach, and uh, we got to meet one of her friends for a couple hours and go to the mall. And then we rolled in around 7.30 Sunday night. And just dog-tired, but, you know, a great wrestling weekend. And, you know, 1,200, almost 1,200-mile 1, round trip. and uh, But, you know, just a lot of fun. Great weekend. You know, I can only imagine that you would uh, you'd be in love from the moment you start the car all the way there and back again. Uh, one, time with your daughter. Two, the business. And uh, for your daughter to be able to go and have a little bit of fun with her friends, I think that's pretty cool. You know, you must be one heck of a good dad, I'll tell you. You know, I, I do my best. I'm far from perfect, but I do my best. But, you know, she often hugs me and tells me I'm the best dad in the world. And I, then I look at her to say, What's your comparison point? I'm the only dad you've ever known, <laughs> which I probably <laughs> just shut my mouth and take my accolade. But the smart ass inside me has to say that. But now <laughs> we had a we had a really good bonding experience and a great trip, and you know we shared a hotel room, and so it was just really cool. It was just a really good time for her and I, and she got to meet some of the boys. And you know it's funny, she's 13. She's been born and raised in the wrestling business. She started going to shows when she was um, two years old or, or younger, and she's watched wrestling with me. She's watched all the shows that I've won on all the way up to her being 11, 12 years old, and uh, not so many in the past year. But before that, you know, a lot of shows she went to. And so she's sitting there going, why is that girl being a baby face when clearly her gimmick is a heel? <laughs> now see that's a smart thing. Yeah, she's just born and bred into the business, man. After the road trip, she goes to me, she goes, Dad. I go, Yeah, she thinks I you about something. I'm not, I'm like, Yeah. She I think I really want to be a pro wrestler. Ooh. She told me that, she told me that because um my older son Zach, who's is my wife's firstborn son. Um, he had wanted to be one, but it was just wrong timing for him. He was having a child and stuff. And then another kid that we adopted about 10 years ago, sort of adopted, not really official adoption. He was about 18, now he's 28. But he, he went to wrestling school, too, and trained him. And he's had a few matches and stuff, but he kind of wandered off his own way. And so she said, Dad, you know, I felt like I disappointed you because Zach and Dorsey both wanted to be wrestlers, and I never wanted to be one. I said, no, nah, you didn't disappoint me. I said, listen, I said, I talked to both my nephews out of getting in the wrestling business years ago. You know, I told them I wouldn't train them. I said, but, you know, if that's what you want to do, I said, you know, I'll I'll throw a ring in the building and I'll train you. So, you know, whether she's she's got some, she has some goals physically she has to accomplish first and academically. You know, before I'll train her, it's just like when I started training Joey Mercury, Christian York. I Joey was in high school, Christian was in college. If either one of you drop out, I said, I won't train you and I'll blackball you, you know. So, I mean, it's just I believe education is the most important thing that, that you can get. So, she's got to continue on with her education before anything happens. But, you know, who knows, one day she may be out there. We may see yeah, close to Carmichael or whatever. I respect that. I think that's the right thing to do. You know, you got to you got to have something to fall back on. I've seen too many wrestlers in this business. You know, I was fortunate 
I started an early sales career and was very successful at it on home improvement companies across the country and, you know, always had a very good income, but something to fall back on that I could, I could make a living at and get insurance at and everything like that. And so, you know, it's been for me, that's always been there. And then going and being a police officer where you have health benefits and everything that are, you know, given to you at no cost. And, you know, I've always had the backup plan and I've always had a backup job that wasn't just, just a job. It was a career. And I think it's important, you know, to get educated and be able to have something to fall back on because guess what? You know, it's like Luke says, so the only guy he can't beat is father time. And I saw Duke the drums to Drossy for the first time in 20 something years down there. And him and I were talking about the same thing, you know, that you can't, just can't beat father time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's true. You better have something to fall back on. Cause guess what? If, if you get out of wrestling, wrestling dies out for you. No matter how much money you made at it, eventually the big houses, the cars and the money goes. And what are you left with? What are you going to do for a living? And if, you know, you look at a future, you're not going to get on a, on the top of a roof and start putting a roof on it 50 something years after 30 years of wrestling. And you're not going to feel very good about delivering pizza. So you better have something to fall back on. So education is crucially important. Absolutely. It's the number one. Um, you really quick. I, I got to say this. Um, did a lot of extra work on the website this weekend. I added, um, I wanted fans, like I know how important it was to you to uh, get the uh, locations for the show up and running. We are officially on Spotify. We're officially on Google Podcasts. We're officially on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. So I know you were looking forward to it. They're all up on the website. Obviously, we want everyone to check it out. Subscribe. Send us a like. We we will love you for it. And uh, you just, you know what? You, a like for us, tell a friend. Because if you tell a friend, they're going to tell someone else. And uh, in this business, that's all you need. And it will make its way. Well, you know, it was important to me because, you know, I mean, I, it's like I said to the guys the other day at the seminar. I said, you know, the fans are the most important thing because truly they're the ones that make us be able to do what we do. I mean, you know, they're 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 really the paying customer. The promoter ends up being the middleman, basically, and you guys have to realize that. And you know, I think it's crucially important that we realize how important the fans are to the business. And uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people realize that. I don't think they really, uh, you know, acknowledge how important the fans are. So, you know, I wanted them to have access to the show in a lot of different ways because, you know, 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night, I mean, you know, kids have soccer, football, wrestling, basketball. I mean, everything's going on all year long. and Sometimes they can't get to the show, and, you know, it's, it's tough. And, you know, last week my buddy Jim Hubs, Dr. James Hubs, couldn't get to the show to hear the shout-out. I think he's listening tonight, so – I want to give a big, big shout-out to my buddy, Dr. James Hubs, out of Woodstown, New Jersey. Runs a family practice down there. He was my doctor years ago. He was the ECW ring physician for a while. So we've been known each other a very long time. Um, he's real good. He, he reviewed my first uh, nutritional supplement and uh, told me what he liked about it and thought about it. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a good friend and does that kind of stuff for me. And, 
you know, never asked for anything but a thank you. And I just want to give a shout out to Jim Hobbs. If you're listening, buddy, I appreciate everything over the years. Well, I want to get this guy, Jim. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about uh, the guest we got on tonight because yeah, so uh, I think I think people are going to hear a different story about somebody being trained than they've ever heard or they've heard in a long time. I think it's going to be unique. I think his career is going to be unique. I think what he's doing now is going to be unique. So um, I'm really looking forward to having him on the show. And uh, matter of fact, I think he should be calling in any minute right now. And uh, when he does, we'll get him live on the show. And, you know, when I met him, he was a young, young Marine, about 19, 20 years old. And uh, just a huge wrestling fan, huge wrestling fan. And he kind of reminded of me, me of me at that age, you know, being a big wrestling fan. So, um, well, yeah. his ring. oh, that would be him. Well, I'll put him through, and here we go. Good day, and welcome to Triple T Radio. How are you? Good. How are you doing? What's up, buddy? Hello? Hello. Matt, you there? Yeah. Okay. How are you, sir? I said, hey, Bullwhip, what's up? (laughs) Oh, not too much. Not too much. Just getting prepped for my show on Friday. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about your show Friday. Well, I've been uh, promoting shows, as you know, for about a year and a half. My first show was in April 2018, and a year and a half long angle is about to be paid off um, on uh, on Friday. And uh, just like you taught me, always push yourself, you ball, as you know, always push yourself and put yourself in the main event. So uh, I actually am in the main event. It's a six-man tag, and the winning team keeps control of action wrestling. And uh, um, it's it's going to be pretty good. It's a uh, benefit for a domestic violence shelter. Uh, I've got some of the top names in independent wrestling, and, and all our shows are on IWTV as well. Wow, that's fantastic. Let's go. Let's go a little bit back into your. And I think I I think I actually told you, um, count on yourself to show up. Not necessarily always push yourself. But <laughs> yourself to just well, you, you know, the funny part is the, re- the funny part is Q, the reason I'm in the reason I'm in the main event, and uh, I, I I have had so many guys flake and back out and cancel and you know call off right. more than more than yeah. once, and I you know it ended up being just a matter of necessity. The uh, the angle was initially not going to have me be the primary factor, but lead several guys, and. Uh, you know, it it just happens when guys aren't reliable. Well, that's the that's the problem, and that's you know that's the position I was in. I was uh, when we had the IPWA there for six years. I was a four time champion, and so was Tom Brandy. But I was a transition champion, and I was a champion. The only reason I was the babyface champion is because the the only babyface guy I could count on to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put myself in that spot. So that's a listen, big problem. Let's let's go back. 
let's go back and why don't you tell everybody how you got in the business? First off, why you why you fall why did you fall in love with the business and how you got in the business? Back. I, uh, all right, I had a I had a bad connection there for a second. Now I can hear you much better. But can you repeat that question, Q? Yeah, tell us when you fell in love with the business and how you got into the wrestling business. You know, the first time I remember seeing anything is and my father was a wrestler and he used to tell me about going to see San Martino in the WWF in uh, the Boston Garden. So I'm sure I saw stuff on TV, but the first angle that I remember was the main event, the live main event in uh, February 89 with Macho and Hogan against the Twin Towers when the, uh, the Mega Powers exploded. And, you know, it was, it was live, so there was an immediacy. It wasn't, it wasn't taped, and it was, just so, it, was just, it was just so cool. It was electric. It was not an entertainment medium like a movie or a TV show. I mean, it was like actual, it was like actual sports, but it was a sport that I was really, really interested in. And, you know, from there, a few months later, I got to go to a WWF TV taping. It was a Saturday night's main event and the superstars. And, you know, it was that day that I really was like, you know, this would be really cool to be a wrestler. And, 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 you know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a strong kid growing up. I was, um, you know, I didn't really bloom until later in life. I joined the Marine Corps and went to boot camp at 18. And it was, you know, I wasn't an athlete in high school, but after joining the Marine Corps, that's when I kind of had my, my coming out as, uh, as being somewhat athletic and, in, and somewhat in shape. And, um, you know, in, I think it was 97. Uh, I, I, was think you, I think you had your, I think you had your coming out when you, when the first time I saw you come out to the ring with a bow around your neck, I think that's when you really came out. <laughs> hey, I was I, I I was definitely I was definitely not shy. I was definitely not shy about all that. No, no. I'm sorry. Go, go back to '97. I'm sorry. No, and uh, you know when I was done with my training and stuff, I, I went to the Marine Corps and I was stationed at Quantico. And uh, when I was there, I did a lot of um, searching for independent wrestling. And I found the IPWA in, uh, uh, in Woodbridge, Virginia. And I started going to shows, uh, as you know, and then uh, I, somehow I got your phone number. Unluckily for you at first, because I know I called you all the time and left voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, here's um, the kid that's going to call but, 800 times but never go to But, training. you know, from there, you know, uh, I think I – have one of the more unique entries into the business. It's really, really an old school type of type of way. I wasn't trained like people are now, you know, I, you know, so people know, I mean, cue ball talks about this on his Facebook all the time, but you didn't have a ring to train people at the time we started uh, becoming friends and that you want, you know, I wanted to be a wrestler. You didn't have a ring at the time. So you took me on the road. Yep. And, and and I think that's different, you know, it exposed you. I took and I took you right in the locker room with me and I introduced you to everybody and I got you I got you I, I laid down the ground rules of the locker room with you about shutting your mouth and listening to guys and watching matches through the curtain. And I you know, it was it was kind of ironic because I told Matt, I said, I'll train you, it's gonna take a year and you have to drive me every show but I'll pay for the gas so the first day he shows up I'll never forget the snowstorm 
we were going to Chickadee Island, Virginia, and he shows up in a brand new car. I said, what did you do, get a new car? He says, well, I figured if i got to drive it around for a year, might as well drive it around in something reliable. I'm like, wow, this kid bought a, bought a new car to drive me around. I looked at him and I said, you might make it yet, kid. <laughs> no doubt. Matt, I got um, I got to say one thing about Q is, you know, when I, I read the same stuff you read, and I'll put it over Q-Ball's corner pocket. It's amazing. And, you know, you having the opportunity to travel with Q and and get a behind-the-scenes, learn, with, see the boys, meet the boys, learn the business that way. I think you're, you're one of the very few that are fortunate because today's generation, they have no idea what that's like. Yeah, it's... You know, there's a lot of education that can happen before you ever step through the ropes and take a bump. And it's kind of funny that it sometimes it almost hurt me when I wasn't on the the highest quality of shows because I didn't realize for a long time, Q, because you kept me around quality people, I didn't realize that I had had been trained so well and been educated in ways about pro wrestling that a lot of people and most people had not been. So things that I took for granted were definitely not a, a lot of things that, that people knew, you know, whether it's, whether it was professional conduct or, you know, just, just um, being comfortable in the ring, uh, anything like that. You know, I had, I had such a good backbone. It, you know, when you'd meet people who didn't have that level of education, it, it, it took, it took me aback at first. Yeah. You know, you had a, you had the, you know, you think about it, you, you were going to locker rooms you know, a hundred times that a hundred plus times that first year with guys like Tom Brandy and, you know, Glenn Osborne and, um, you know, Axel Rotten and, and just, uh, uh, King Kong Bundy, Jimmy Cicero, Julio De Niro, Joey Christian, Joey Mercury, Christian York. I mean, reckless youth. I mean, the quality of guys that were <laughs> The quality of guys that were out there on the events that you went to every single weekend and got to meet and watch. And we would also, you know, what we would do too, Nick, is I would call the promoters. I'd say, what time do you have your ring set up? They'd say 4 o'clock. I'd say, well, what time is, uh, what time do you get open the doors? They'd be like, well, 6. I said, well, can, mind if I take my kid and get in the ring for an hour or two before you guys uh, open the doors? They're like, nah, go, go ahead. So we would get there early. And we would go into the shows, and we would work out for an hour or two. And so he would pick up learning some stuff in the business. And once in a while, there'd be another guy around that would say, hey, try it like this, try it like this. So not only was he getting the education in the car, but he was getting the education from the locker room, but he was getting the education from the other guys and listening, and also the education from getting in the ring before the shows. So, you know, he came out, he had been exposed to nothing but quality talent, quality shows that were drawing drawing hundreds, if not thousands. And, you know, so when you leave that environment and you go to an area of the country where guys are drawing 60 or 70 and most of the guys don't know a wristwatch from the top wristlock, it's, it's different, isn't it? Isn't it, Matt? Isn't it, Matt? Matthew. 
Matthew. Matthew. Matthew, buy a new phone. Matt Griffin. Yes. Matt. The Matt Griffin. Was- Matt Griffin needs to buy a new phone. That's what I've come up with here. <laughs> you got to make a million dollars a year in the insurance business, and he can't buy nothing more than a $4 phone. Well, I got to say this, though, just because you said that about quality and and what you said about Matt, you know, Matt being able to uh, to see that quality and, and hearing Matt say about, you know, the luxury, like what he got to see, you know, he didn't realize until he's, he's stepping in on his own and seeing things. And, 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 you know, it's not the same, that luxury as you just explaining to the listeners. And to be able to do that, to see that quality, and for you to produce that, you, it just speaks volumes of the importance of training a wrestler to be in this business and understand it from the beginning to the end, not just to go out there and and like you said about knowing, you know, a wrist lock from, from whatever. It don't matter. And that point is is that you're teaching them quality and the importance of respect and understanding this business. Yeah, that was, that was important. And, you know, it, it was, to me, it was more of a, you know, training him was more of like a, a 50s and 60s way the guys were trained. And so for me, it was kind of a thrill to actually have a guy that was serious enough to show up every weekend and go on the road and be committed to it. And, uh, you know, we had, we had, when he was, uh, him and I were both popular. Matt, are you back yet? No, actually his call literally. Hang up and, just hang up and call back, Matt. Matt hang he up did. Call back. He, he dropped the call. So Matt, if you're listening, call back in, please. Yeah, but finish what you were saying. Yeah, he's texting me right now. He says, uh, "Tell him making all that money, he wants to buy a new phone." Yeah, he's in a bad area, is what it is, because he's out pushing for the show. Um, well, in an odd area, but you know the thing about—I'll tell you one of the interesting things about Matt is that he—he he was about uh, six foot tall, maybe five eleven, and about one hundred and seventy pounds, and I was about six. Two six three and jacked up about two sixty five and we were both pretty popular in Tidewater Virginia and he uh, he had in Tidewater he he had uh, been started getting popular and I'd always been popular in that area thanks to the promoters who gave me really good spots on the show so we had a match one night and it was a loser leave sound match. And the reason it was a loser leave town match is because he was about to get shipped out to New Orleans. Uh, he was in uh, writing for the Marine Corps newspaper. So he uh, went out to New Orleans and left. We had the loser- what is that noise? We had the loser leave town match. And we were trying to sell it on how he could get over on me. So the people were actually going to think that he was going to beat me. So what we ended up doing, and the commission was there, and in Virginia, if the commission's there, you can't play it, it'll stop the match. So we had a spot where I was all over him. I tied him up in the rope, 
and then I ran full speed from the other side, and he dropped down, and I went over the top rope, and I took a face bump on the floor, front bump. And uh, it was really hard. Everybody thought I got killed. And then Matt comes over, and he picks me up, and he just slams me into the railing. And I blade, but I blade different. I go straight up, straight across, and straight down, and back across. So it looks like a chunk's taken out of my forehead. So it looks like I hit the rail, which I did. And, I mean, I'm gushing blood. It's, it's everywhere. And so we get wrestling through the match, and I'm, I I sell like a dog for him, you know. And people just think he's, he's definitely going to go over. I'm barely getting out on two counts, and it was the main event. And finally gets to a point where he puts me in a corner. He charges me. I barely move out of the way. He smashes his shoulder into the ring ropes. I pull him out, and instead of giving him a pedigree, I lock him in a pedigree, but I stand him straight up in the air. So he's in a pedigree, but he's inverted. And I jump, and I spin 180 degrees and drop him, boom. And then just the way it lands is when he falls, I accidentally fall on top and get the cover. So it was a, it was a really good match, and I think everybody pretty much thought that he was probably going to go over because we kept him leaving and getting moved out uh, silent the whole time even the boys didn't know so we didn't even let anybody know who was going to win so it was a pretty special match because then he he went off to New Orleans and you know we didn't see each other for 10 years so well let's see who this is come back unfortunately I never got I was was talking about our big uh, loser league town match that was one of my favorite matches, and I never got that on tape, so I never got to see it, but I remember it very well. And that was just one of my favorite matches because it was it was a big deal. Obviously, like I, I heard you explain the end of it, it was it was a big deal. It was it was an angle. It was, you know, we only got to work each other a, a couple times, really. Um, you know, right. we teamed together. That, that may have been the only time we worked against each other, and that was uh, – I never got to see it, but that was a real special moment for uh, yeah, for me, for and of course, too, especially for me too. And I, I think it was one of those matches that you know when I when I went over the top rope and took that face bump and you banging the rope the way I bladed. Even the commissioner looked at the cut and said, "Oh no, that's the, that's the hard way." He busted open the hard way the way I gigged it, so it looked that way. But yeah, you know, and then you just got a lot of heat on me, and I really think that we sold it. The people thought you were going to win that match. Until I got oh, I think so too. You know, people are like, oh my god, he's gonna eat because I was bleeding pretty profusely. Yeah, that was, and of course, did you did you explain that this was in a bar that was twenty one and up, so people are drinking, and it was a Sunday night, so it was a real, real raucous crowd. This wasn't like a Saturday afternoon in an armory. Yeah, was that was that Smitty's? Yeah, that was at Smitty's in uh. Uh, down in uh, Newport News. In the Omni Hotel, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it was Smitty's in the Omni Hotel. And what they used to do is they would have us wrestle, and then they would show like a WCW pay-per-view after, or we'd wrestle the night before or the night after, but they always showed pay-per-view. So they had a wrestling fan base, but they were all 21 or older, and they were all super rowdy. And you really had to work hard to get over it. And that match, I can tell you, we were over, man. We were over strong in that match. And I'm not just saying that because I was in the match, but because of the angle and the build up to the show 
and the loser leaves town, and the trainer, and the student against the teacher, you know, it was they were really into it. So, and of course, then you know, at bar crowds, they want to see they really want to see blood. So that's why the commissioner was he, always there. He knew they wanted to see. And blood you know, it was. Oh, of like, course. You know, the bar crowd. You know, I was always. I was always jealous of uh, Christian and Joey getting to work you and Cicero so much going up and down, you know, from from Pittsburgh down to, uh, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and, you know, I only got to work Cicero once or twice, and I only got to, you know, team with you once and work against you once. Right. So that was a that was a real special moment because we had so few of those. And it, and it was nice that it wasn't just, you know, a first or second match on the show. It was something that really – you know, in a limited amount of time, was able to tell a fairly deep story. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I think it was good. You know, and here's the thing: is you said the right thing. You know, as many times as I worked Joey and Christian, you know, one match I worked Christian stands out, and not none of the other ones, which are probably another two dozen, and none with Joey really stand out. But the one with you and the Loser League Town match stands out clearly. So, you know, sometimes it's best not to have so many matches with somebody that none stand out or only one does out of 30, you know. So, you know, what is to be meant to be so. But it was, yeah, I thought it was just, you know, it was great. And then tell us tell us what happened after that. You went down and you became J.C. North, which was your wrestling name, down in NWA Wildside for a while, right? Yeah, I, um, I left. I actually, that weekend, I wrestled on a Friday night for Grog in North Carolina, I wrestled in West Virginia for, I think, uh, the Shane Shadows guys. And then uh, Sunday I wrestled that show. So I had a, I had a back-to-back-to-back for my last weekend. And then, uh, then I left, and then I, was, I transferred to New Orleans. And I'll be honest, when I was talking earlier about the education of, of wrestling, man, it tested me down on, the, down on the Gulf Coast because there were some guys who were nice guys in New Orleans, Alabama, Mississippi who didn't know dog shit about pro wrestling or how to draw, or how to draw, get actual heat as opposed to, you know, just doing and emulating what you saw on TV. So I got out of that scene really, really quickly. After a few months, I started, um, I made a connection, and I got in touch with Bill Barons, who, you know, Joey and Christian were going down to Bill Barons and doing a deal in uh, Nashville for Music City Wrestling. Um, and, you know, he, I was able to go up from New Orleans to Cornelia, Georgia, where they did TV, an eight-hour drive each way. And uh, I worked there from my first match was in December 2000, uh, right up until Wildside closed its doors in 2005. Wow. And it was cool. I got to work. Uh, I, I had a lot of ma- – I got to work Joey in a tag match there. Uh, I got to work AJ Styles, Jimmy Rave. Uh, I got to work David Flair. I teamed with, uh, I teamed with Bob Sapp. Uh, plus a whole host of real, real talented guys. That was a that was a good crew. They were booked right. They were educated right. You know, it, the matches tended more towards being six to seven minutes rather than everything being ten to twelve, and not meaning right. anything. And and uh, and you know, and it's television. You know, you're working off of time cues. You know, you're right. you, you know you unlike most indie shows, you got the ref in your ear. They're not just saying, all right, you know, two more minutes, just. Uh, just off the cuff, you know, you're, it's like, all right, one minute, 30 seconds, you know, because you've got to have your match fit in a time slot that's going to fit into an hour-long television show. Right. When that ref gets that cue and he tells you to go home an X amount of time, you better go home an X amount of time. 
That's right. So yeah, and there's somebody waiting for you. They're not happy. You know, let me tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, me and uh, Jimmy Rave, and he was a guy who did quite a bit. He did Ring of Honor. He went over to oh, New yeah, Japan no, for Jimmy the Rave. Super yeah. Juniors. Yeah, yeah. He, and uh, you know, we only worked once. And we're working a match, and it's, it's going fine. And all of a sudden, we get a go-home cue. Um, you know, it was like one minute left, two minutes left, whatever the cue was. And it's like, wait a second, you know, we were, we were way like, off space. And uh, so, you know, but we went home. And it hurt the match, of course. I have it on tape, and you can kind of tell my heat. It was more of a back-and-forth match because there wasn't a, a heat segment because, you know, we had to go home. So we get to the back, and one of the guys there is looking, and he's and we're like, were, were we that long? He says, he's like, yeah, you had this amount of time. And we look at the sheet, and I'm like, no, no, we didn't have five minutes. We were the fifth match. We had ten minutes. Oh, geez. He was looking, he was looking ah. at the timing. It was like one, two, three, four, five. And, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, it was a riot. Because, and this was a big match for me because two months previously, I had just wrestled AJ Styles there. And, you know, that was my previous match. And now I'm wrestling Jimmy Rave, and it's like these are big matches for me. You know, I wasn't the most athletic guy, but obviously Bill Barron saw something that I was able to, you know, that he was putting me in with some of the key guys at the time in the territory. It was just funny because, you know, we, we took it home. And it made and it made sense, even though uh, you know, unfortunately, it was a very, very short heat. But uh, it, it was just real funny getting to the back, like, oh man, because we had about three or four minutes shaved off because he couldn't read the timesheet. Whoever it was was just calling the time oh, for a match, and he. Oh wow! Uh, wow. Yeah, that's why you have to know what you're doing when you're when you're producing a show. You have to know what you're doing. <laughs> and it's not, and it's not just calling time. I mean, I've I produced some shows. Uh, I produced three shows that were all eye pay per views, WrestleMania weekend, and a fourth that wasn't. But had I not been producing, it could have been a four hour show. And you know, it's also it's not just making sure something fits into a certain time, but making sure you're ahead of time in your early matches. So if something is really landing, you know, when you have a twelve minute match and everything's going great, you can tell the ref, hey. Give them more time. You can let things breathe. And I've had some good moments directing shows, you know, but you can only do that if your first half before intermission is on or ahead of schedule. Well, you know, you know, you have, yeah, yeah, you have to have it. You have to have a produce like that. And, you know, it's almost like you get in that habit of production. And even if there, even if there is a recording or television or whatever, you're producing the same way constantly. So you're getting those shows at the right time with the right intermission with everything. Because you want to leave. I mean, I like two hours and 15 minutes. And I've had shows go as low as 2.07 was my first show and my shortest show. And, you know, I've had shows go two and a half. I like two hours and 15 minutes. And whatever it is you do, you want to leave the crowd. Not, okay, we saw it. We don't have to come back. You want to see, like, oh, is it over already? Because then you know that... Even if it's not the next show, that they will be inclined. Okay, I got to see more of this. Uh, see more of the wrestling. Yeah, it's you if, didn't you didn't give them everything. If you can leave them wanting more, and you can give them what I call the JR moment, which we used to give them at the code, which is that last minute reason, you know, last minute angle for them to want to come back to see the conclusion of it. 
If you're running the same building consistently, that's important. If you're doing spot shows, it's not so important. Just give them two hours with a 15 or 20 minute intermission. Get them in, get them out. It's absolutely perfect. If you're running a regular building, give them an angle for a reason. They come back in six weeks or whatever. But yeah, that's that's perfect timing. The problem is with these shows nowadays, and I, the last four or five I've been to, you know, they run three, three and a half hours. There's six, seven matches. The guy running it's in three or four different matches, and you know, I go in the back and I'm, I'm telling them, listen, hey, watch, you guys should be watching the first and second match because it's the first match is the schoolboy finish, and the second match is the sunset flip finish. Then both of those become actual real fault finishes. And you see them later in the show. If you do a sunset flip or a schoolboy, people think the match is over because they saw somebody get beat with them earlier. And then nobody goes to the curtain to watch the first two matches. It's crazy. You know, they just look at, they look at you like you're talking a foreign language. You know, you can deal with the less is more. I had a, I had a, um, you know, I had a, sh- a match on my last show. I had a kid come down from Tennessee. He's a Seth Rollins kid, extremely athletic. He's on a college scholarship for soccer, actually. But I sold him on the idea. I'm like, look, you go six minutes. You give them this, this, this. People will be like, holy shit, we want to see him back. We want to see him more. If I put you out for 12 and you do every single thing you can do, it will also be over but they'll have seen everything you do and won't need to see you back. It got That's over right. and everyone wanted to see him back. And now he's coming back next show. And he realizes you yeah. know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I, in fact, you know, and he's a guy that, you know, he's, he's a young kid that, you know, obviously he's being trained by Seth Rollins. And I know for a fact, he sends Seth matches he's had for me and he critiques them and that's great. And, you know, he, he has good training, but he also, He's a young kid who's athletic, but he also has his ears open and is willing to learn. He knows that right. he doesn't know everything. He's coachable. And that's, he's coachable. Yes. And that's, that's what you're looking for in people. they got to be coachable. You know, I had uh, two kids this past weekend out of the whole locker room. That Now, my seminar, I think that, that most of them were coachable. Um, and then there was a guy that tells you what you want to hear, which I don't like. And so, but I think I had some really good, really good talent um, that was very coachable. And then two guys who were on the show, because not some of the guys at the seminar weren't even booked on the show. Most of the guys who were booked on the show did not go to the seminar. Figure that one out. I don't know. Uh, even though they're already <laughs> in town. So, because so, they're, so, they're so good, they couldn't possibly get any better. And uh, so... The, the couple guys that night came up to me and said, hey, sir, could you do me a favor? Could you, could you have time? Could you watch my match and maybe critique it? And uh, so those two guys that asked actually filmed their match, and I'm doing do a critique on it this week for them. Um, and it just happened that both those guys are very athletic and, and had very good looks and looks to me like they, they both have futures. And I'll bend over backwards to do stuff for them, you know. And while I was at the uh, – while I was there, I – text Steve Carino and said, just text me real quick again what, what y'all are looking for up there. And he texted me, you know, five or six major things. And so I told him, I said, hey, here's, here's the direct thing of what you need. Are any of you guys meet this criteria right now? And and none of them met it right now. I said, you know what? That doesn't mean in six months or a year you won't meet that criteria. You know what you have to do. You know what you have to work towards. And uh, 
you know, and there's there's some there's some talent out there, but the problem is that there's a lot of talent out there that that doesn't know. I, I give you an example of this, Matt. I told one guy, I said, listen, okay, you're he was like the third or fourth match. I said, so far tonight, everybody's gone outside the ring, around the ring. They set bags, face and heels, got everybody's faces. I said, you go straight up the ring ropes. Once you get in there, you go to one side, the other side, and the other side, then the other side. And this kid went up in there, and he went to all four sides. And every time he went to one side, he's a fan favorite. The crowd stood up and yelled for him. And when he came out, he says, wow, I've never got that big of an ovation. Right? I said, and you just went straight up into the ring because you're separated mm-hmm. as an athlete. The time, listen, the time if you're baby face, the time of Rock and Roll Express and all the way around the ring and stuff before the matches, that time is over. You have to separate yourself. Let, let these people know that you're a professional athlete, and, and even though you love them and we're all equal, you're on a different level as them. You're a professional. And to go up there and to get into that ring and elevate yourself. And I said, you don't see Broadway performers going out in the crowd with people. You don't see the NFL going up in the stands. You don't see the NBA going up in the stands. There's a reason for that. Our field of performance is that 16 or 18 by 18 ring. We need to go directly in there, and they can see us from there, and we can get our reaction from there. And if you can't get a reaction from being in that ring, then probably you shouldn't be in the ring. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and even from just a practical standpoint, I see this on shows. The front row of fans get really tired at by about the third or fourth match of just sticking their hands up and clapping every wrestler's hand. Yeah, just go in the ring, and then every functionally everybody can see you. Also, as somebody who calls times on matches, if you go into the ring, you're up. You can send the next guy out quicker, which means you don't have to shave time on that match because that's 30 seconds that was not lost because you wanted to go ahead and clap everybody's hands. It keeps yeah, the show I agree shorter. That, I agree with that 100%, don't you, Nick? Uh, me, I agree 110% because the biggest thing is that whole building is going to see you in the ring. The whole building is mm-hmm. going to react to you. When you're on the outside of the ring, you're going to get more of a reaction from the people that you see right in front of you than you are the people when you get up on the top rope and you've got the entire building cheering you on. You can't do the same thing every single match. Fans like things different. And it and it's just and it's just a very it's just a very functional thing, especially when you're dealing with time. Like like the WrestleMania weekend, everyone wants to get on WrestleMania weekend shows. If they're on iPay per view, they have a two and a half hour window. There's no fucking way I'm not going to shave your time and le- and leave the main event or short. So if you go no. ahead and take that thirty seconds, I'm I mean I as I, I mean as I was running WrestleMania weekend shows, I made sure to tell the guys go right into the ring. We got to get the you know when you're done, don't worry about selling. Sell with the ref. Just make sure you don't make a big deal out of it. Get out of the ring. Come to the back. Keep the show flowing because I'm not about to tell main eventers getting paid five hundred or a thousand dollars for a match that okay, you guys got six and not fifteen. There's no fucking way I'm about to do that because and that that short changes the fans and it short changes the promoter. We're family friendly here. Oh. <laughs> that's that's a new one. That's a new one for you, cue ball. So you have to shut the fuck up with the F word. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to be match. going, but we got to, we got to, we got to do this again. Absolutely, I love the passion, man. 
Yeah. Yeah, we got to do it again. And we got to get you on here. We got to talk a little bit more um, about your career. We got to talk more about your promoting because Action Wrestling is one of the fastest growing, most successful promotions in the Georgia area. And it's because of you. And you're doing it right. And just like I, when I run a show, I have a cue. I'm very, very seldom am I on my own show. Um, And if I am, I know how long I have to go. But I always give a cue to the ref. I tell them to take it home. And I tell people in the locker room straight up, you got one choice. You have one minute to take it home once you get the cue. Or I come in with a steel chair and I'll take it home for you. So there's your (laughs) options, boys. So, you know what? You know, you know, we had we had uh, some guys who wouldn't take it home once, so we jump in the we jump in the uh, ring announcer's ear because he had a microphone, and he announced there was one minute remaining in the contest. There's 30 seconds, and then we rang the bell because it was a draw. They yeah, didn't get their finish. You don't have <laughs> it was it, it was uncomfortable, but when you're the when you're the second match it. on a 10 match show, you don't. It doesn't matter. You're you're done. Well, they better uh, well, anyway, I love you, and I'd love to, I'd love to come back. This has been fun. Please, well, you're welcome back, Matt. I love the oh, match awesome. last Saturday. I loved the first match last Saturday night, but it was 13 minutes. I would have loved it better at seven and a half or eight. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, too hey, long. I, 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 I gotta go. Love you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Love you, buddy. You take care. Hey, man. What a great guy. What a great that guy. guy is awesome, and he's welcome back here any day of the week, twice on Sunday, even though we're only on Tuesday. <laughs> but I get it. He's uh Hey, he's can, can I say guy, something? Man. Can I say something about this training? Um, I'm so intrigued by the guys that you brought on your show over the last three weeks, and I think you'll appreciate this cue, and if not, I know you're very vocal, so uh, we got to actually have a guy here in the Maritimes, Adam Kraft, who is a phenomenal trainer and takes his time, and he's, you know, he's that guy, like you were saying, about how important it is to sit at the monitor and watch the match. Like, if you're training the guys, you should kind of pay attention so you can critique them. And, uh, you know, he never misses a shot, and he watches everything, and he's the first guy there to critique something. But with that saying, he's also the first guy there to accept criticism on his part. So, and uh, he's going to be on this show on November 12th, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to you meeting him. What's his name? What's his name? Adam Kraft. Oh, I, I know the name. I know who he yeah, is. Yeah, look him up. And you know what? Listen, I'm probably one of the few guys that really is familiar with the old Maritimes. I mean, you know, I think the Maritime promotion, um, going back 40 years, I think they were great promotions. I think they had some great talent. They had some great promoters. So, you know, the Canadian Maritimes, I'm very familiar with that area and the people up there. I keep track of it. You know, it's just a really, really, um, to me, it's a really cool area with a really cool history. So I definitely am familiar with who Adam Kraft is. Yeah, and I think you'll you'll appreciate it. I know how much you'll enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it already. So uh, yeah, I'm yeah. excited about it too. I'm excited about it, man. I think it's going to be great. 
And, you know, next week we got Jack Ward on the show. Hey, Jack Ward has run Southern Legacy Wrestling. I talked to Jack, uh, let's see, what was it? Yesterday I talked to Jack for about a half an hour on the phone, and Jack is, uh, is, uh, created a great promotion. Jack is a, a wrestler who's wrestled all over the world. And, uh, you know, back in the, in the day when I was wrestling, he's a eighties, nineties wrestler and, uh, retired, but you know, somebody got him back out of the rocket chair, as they say, or off the couch and got him promoted. He started Southern legacy wrestling. And he's done really great. I mean, big houses down there in Alabama where he's at and just done some amazing stuff. So I'm excited about having him on next week. And then some of the guests you got in November. I mean, we've got, I mean, we are going to finish 2019 strong. I mean, really with some great guests. Oh, my goodness. I guess we are. We've got some stuff. Yeah, I hope the fans appreciate the fact that we try to get them a variety of guests. I mean, the first week we had Jimmy Keeples, retired chief of police, very Christian organization, uh, ran the show this past weekend, the anti-bullying show, which is a big issue. Um, we also had on um, the second week, we had Luke Hawks, who's a super, super, super wrestler, wrestled all over the world, also runs Wildcat Sports and promotes. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to expose fans to different people, but we're also trying to expose wrestlers and promoters to other wrestlers and other promoters so that they can maybe learn something. A promoter can learn from a promoter or a wrestler might be able to reach out to one of these promoters on Facebook and actually be able to get books from them, which, you know, we're trying to connect the community. We're trying to connect the fans a variety of people. We're trying to connect wrestlers with a variety of people and promoters with a variety of people. So we've got sort of a three-pronged approach to this thing. And I hope that people understand the mission statement that we have, which is kind of connecting all of wrestling, from wrestlers to fans to promoters, to try to get everything wrapped up together so we're covering everything Next week, I'm really excited about having my buddy Jack Ward on the show. He came up to the Buddy Landau Memorial Cup. He was close to Buddy, too. And, you know, it's going to be just just great show next week, too. Oh, I can't wait. Um, I, we think, started... I think Nick is about time for a commercial, though, is it? For one of our good buddies, Mike. Absolutely. Folks, if you're looking for anything custom-made leather, for your vehicle, you got to go to redlinegoods.com. Take it away, Nick. Hey, guys, I got to tell you about this new product that Q-Ball and I just started using. It's called RedlineGoods.com. Q, I was on. I ordered a bunch of products from this site, man, and you weren't lying. Man, I'm telling you, you know that tuner car I got, that old Eclipse that I've been working at? I got the, it's called the flat side steering wheel. It's a steering wheel, and it's all hand-stitched, and it's the bottom side that I run is flat, and it's for, you know, tuner cars. And I got the matching boot for the shifter, 
that is handmade and hand-stitched Italian leather. Let me tell you something, dude. This thing looks sweet. The rest of the car, not so good. But the stick, well, the boot cover, fantastic. Well, I'm going to tell you, I got 1993 LeBaron, and my kids are so embarrassed when I drive this thing around. I went on this site you told me about. I used the promo code QBALL, saved 15%, and my kids love it. I got the coolest looking shifter. I've got new pads on the brake and the gas. I mean, I have done this thing up. The outside... Still needs some work, man. This place is loaded with colors, and it's shipped worldwide. Like, you were not kidding. I mean, I am shocked. And you know what, Nick? Everything's hand-stitched and handmade in its own shop by him and his family. So, you know, it's, it's handcrafted Italian leather. It's amazing stuff. It's redlinegoods.com. Uh, the owner's name is Mike. He's a friend of ours. And if you just happen to mention promo code QBALL, you're going to save 15% on your entire order. So make sure you go there, folks, redlinegoods.com, all one word, redlinegoods.com, and check out their selection of really nice handmade Italian leather, accoutrements for your vehicle, and a lot of other cool products they have for cars. with uh, 90 seconds left in the show for you guys because then Q of course is going to bring you guys the conspiracy you never want to miss that which I'm sorry there's only 90 seconds left but Q I know I'm thinking all day about this I need to ask you something really quick before you go there David Crockett and Jim Crockett they haven't been seen in a lifetime they're coming back Starcast. Just want your thoughts on it. I was curious on what your thoughts were on that. I think it's awesome. I think it's great too. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I know how well, excited you are. That's why you want to get to your conspiracy. So, sir, no, take it I'm, away. I am excited that the Crockers are coming back because they can tell uh, people about, you know, the heyday of 80s professional wrestling, 70s, 80s, heyday professional wrestling. And I think that's an important time in pro wrestling to be talked about. Oh, I do too, 100%. I've always felt that way. So tonight our our conspiracy is alien abduction. And really, I want to go all the way back to the beginning in a case that's called the flagship case of alien abduction. And first off, with all the sightings in the skies and the Phoenix Lights, which if you're not familiar with in 1997, an actual physician filmed that. And she left her job as a doctor and spent the last 22 years writing a book and spending her life talking about aliens and alien crafts and alien landings and abductions in this country. 
and this is a well-respected physician. But I want to go back to the first case, the flagship case of alien abduction of Betty and Barney Hill, uh, who were taking a short vacation, a husband and wife, when they saw a bright object in the evening sky, and they stopped on a road, and aliens became a part, aliens abducted them. And this is a case for the ages, folks, because they did regressive hypnosis on these people. Regressive hypnosis can't lie. When you go through regression hypnosis, it is fact that comes out, not lies, not manifestations of the truth. It's 100% total absolute truth. And when these folks were abducted in South Ashburn, Massachusetts, on the night of January 25th, 1967, Betty Anderson and her husband were both put under regression hypnosis. Now, keep in mind, this is the mother of seven children and a father who definitely would not go on the line and make something up and put the jeopardy of their children on the line to make up something this crazy. They were a normal family. And through hypnosis regression, everything that way they went through, including the testing that the aliens did on them, was 100% verified and factual through hypnosis regression. So that same year in 1967, Herbert Shermer was also uh, uh, abducted. He was a patrolman who was passing through the intersection of Highway 6 Highway 63 outskirts of Ashland, Virginia, and he saw what appeared to be red lights and a large truck that stopped a short distance on the highway, Route 63. He decided to check it out. He drove a short distance down 63, stopped his headlights on the object. And according to him, the object was definitely not a truck. The red lights that he saw were blinking through open portals of a metallic object. Again, another person who took hypnosis, regression hypnosis, the facts and details were exactly the same as he had repeated. And this goes all the way forward into present day. I mean, there are literally dozens of cases of alien abduction. And when you have dozens of cases, and these people that have gone through progression hypnosis and repeat the same things that they had told people ahead of time, you know, again, if you research regression hypnosis, it's impossible to not tell the truth through that. So it's sort of an interesting thing. And now alien theorists have come up with the concept that abduction by aliens is a little bit different than it used to be. They almost are able to make it like it was a dream to the person. So the person almost dreams that they were abducted. Somehow through technology, they advance. Um, they're making it a little bit different through them. And I'll give you an example. 1989, a lady named Linda Cordell, um, a fam- the famous Napolitano abduction, um, is an extremely compelling case of alien abduction. Um, the claim she was abducted by so-called grays, small gray men who floated to her from a closed bedroom window and took her into a hovering UFO at the time. Um, he went by, and there were several different eyewitness reports that were came forward to substantiate her claim. And several bystanders, including a well-known politician, actually saw the incident in the ship. And so there's so many of these, if you look into them, it's nearly impossible 
to doubt this fact. And if you think that we're alone in this country, you've obviously obviously never heard of Area what, Nick? You heard of the big area? Area 51, baby. And, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that 1947, the Roswell incident, the UFO crash, um, and there was one more recently that was down in South America, uh, an alien spacecraft crashed um, in the uh, Bolivia area, and within two hours, the entire area was shut off uh, by men in black SUVs and in black and white suits who did not speak Bolivian but only spoke English. And they shut it off, and the police department was told to go back to their station. Uh, but it also was rumored to just be a meteorite. Now, there's no way that people get there that fast and that quick. And recently, there have been many UFO sightings in the area. So, you know, you look at Men in Black, and you kind of think, oh, that's a joke. But maybe that movie actually came from somebody's experience who talked about it. You know? There's so many people that have, have talked about the abductions and the ceiling of aliens that it's really very difficult when you have U.S. fighter pilots who have seen them in the air and who have made comments. I don't know where this is from, but I'd like to fly it. <laughs> you know, it's really sort of a, a undoubtable fact that we have visitors from other planets. And I tell everybody this when I'm questioned about it. Can you imagine where our technology will be in 10,000 years? Do you think in 10,000 years we'll be able to get into a ship and travel at the speed of light and be going to another gen- another atmosphere or another planet, I mean, another universe in seconds? I think we will. And if we can't in 10,000 years, what if we can't? What about 100,000 years? We definitely should be able to, right, the technology? Well, I want you to think about this for a second. What if a planet similar to ours in another solar system was created 10,000 or 100,000 years before us with humanoid creatures like us? But they're 100,000 or at least 10,000 years more advanced than we are. Maybe those are the ones that are coming and visiting us. Or, as I once told my wife, Maybe it's the people from our future coming back to visit the past. You know, they always seem to show up at military bases, and they also seem to show up around a lot of the war areas. And it seems to me that maybe they're highly interested in our military, and I think it's probably because that we've had several alien planes aircraft crash, and I think that the U.S. government is very good at uh, reverse engineering. And I think the aliens are very concerned with the fact that if we do too much reverse engineering, what are the governments of these countries going to do with that reverse engineering? They're going to use it for warfare more than anything else. And I think that these aliens are very concerned with that fact. And I think that, I mean, do you think we're alone in the entire universe? No. I mean, I do and I don't. That's such a good question, and and this is a great topic. I wish my uh, wife was here to to kind of chime in on this because, man, I don't, but then again, I want to see it to believe it, but 
Well, that's that's a tough one, Q. You know, it's it's funny, but there, and and that's the thing. The problem is that a lot of people want to see it to believe it. It's just the same thing with any type of, like, give you an example of ghosts or spirits. Most people want to see that to believe it. But you find these people that are passionate about doing it, and you hear their stories. You know, I never believed in it until I saw it. And then suddenly I saw it. I became passionate about finding out the truth and stuff. But, you know, the U.S. government had a, a program called Project Blue Book. And that was a program that studied the possible threat of alien life. And it was uh, started in 1969. And it, it, it really basically, um, most Americans didn't know about it. but And they thought the danger could be ludicrous. But in December 2017, the New York Times broke the story that the U.S. government had been secretly continuing the program, even though in 1969 it was supposed to have been dismantled and laughed at and thrown away by the government. And according to unclassified documents, the government quietly spent nearly $22 million over four years on a project dubbed the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, known as AATIP. Stuff they didn't want you to know, wanted to find out more uninvited UFOologists. Um, they hired, hired known people who had been what they called UFOlogists, and they secretly tracked UFOs throughout the atmosphere. And so this is a government project, Project Blue Book. It was supposed to be shut down in 1969, and, and they find out in 2017 that it had never been shut down. Time Magazine found this out. And uh, the ATTIP actually began in 2007 and studied UFO phenomena, mainly because of the 2004 Tic Tac incident. And that's when several U.S. Air Force pilots witnessed an unidentified flying object off the coast of California and documented it on video, and you can find it on YouTube. These objects were unknown to the pilots and behaved strangely as if physics didn't apply. They're flying fast, they're rotating, and unpredictable movements. And that's the one where the pilot said, I sure don't know where it's from, but I'd like to fly it. You know, and that story broke in 2012 on CNN. And the the story's still ongoing, you know. And military intelligence officials have even, as a matter of fact, Louis Elizondo, who used to be a military intelligence uh, official, who had retired, went on CNN in 2012 and explained the program and Project Tic Tac to them, you know. So there's really a lot of different programs going on that people don't know about with the U.S. government and you know, it goes all the way to a place called Skinwalker Ranch. You know, Robert Bigelow, who Bigelow Aerospace is one of the richest guys in the country. You know, um, he and actually bought a piece of land out in the middle of the uh, uh, New Mexico Arizona desert. He's a billionaire business owner. And he bought bought it called and it's called Skinwalker Ranch. And the reason he bought it is because. Not only are there alien sightings out there, but the aliens have been seen on the ground out there. And Bigelow was so convinced that he purchased, I'm sorry, it was Utah. He purchased that property in Utah and transformed it into a compound dedicated to studying aliens. And then he sold it to who? 
the U.S. government. Mm. And now it's run by the U.S. government. But this billionaire aerospace owner and executive bought this facility, created a compound for the study of aliens. Now, several people, organizations, have went out there close to the border of Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, and they have seen things in the night sky go into the mountains. Things, things fly over the night sky. And you can go look up Skinwalker Ranch on YouTube. You can go look up Robert Bigelow. You can go up and over and look up any of the alien sightings on Skinwalker Ranch, and you can see them for yourself. I and mean, there's really a lot of, and, you know, it is circumstantial evidence, but people do get sent to death row in circumstantial evidence. I mean, the factual evidence that the U.S. government has, you and I will never see. Never happens. But the circumstantial evidence and the evidence that is leaked out to these people who have been in the program and have felt their life were at risk. So if they go public, their life really is at less risk because then if they're killed, obviously somebody's going to know. So, you know, and Bigelow, a well-known believer in aliens, he told 60 Minutes he's absolutely convinced that not only are aliens real, but they're also already living among us. So the guy who bought the ranch created the compound for the study of aliens full 60 minutes that absolutely convinced and they're walking among us. And then he sells the ranch to the U.S. government for research and study of UFOs and aliens. So something's going on out there. Wow. So yes. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence and there's a lot of coincidental stuff, you know, which, Priests um, and cops really don't believe in coincidence. You know, priests think it's, it's an act of God, and cops think it's just, uh, you know, it's not coincidence, it's part of the case. <laughs> so, but I can tell you that if you review Robert Bigelow and Skinwalker Ranch, and you review uh, what he said on CNN in 60 Minutes, and you look at all this information, you really are going to have a hard time doubting the fact that not only aliens are here, but aliens are able to take different forms and live among us right now. Hmm. So I'll leave you with that thought. That's, uh, that's amazing. I'll leave our fans with the thought of looking up. The- Q, is there an alien at your house? Thank you. So I'll leave you with the thought. I'll leave you. My dog's going crazy. I'll leave you with the thought that. Look up Skinwalker Ranch. Look up Robert Bigelow. Look up what he said on 60 Minutes. And look up the fact that aliens are not just here, but they're walking among us. So this is another cue ball conspiracy theory moment. It is. I like it. And you've got my mind boggled once again. (laughs) That's what I do. And after hearing your dog go crazy, you want to make sure there's not nailing at your front door. (laughs) I think think what the fans don't realize is I never clue you into what the conspiracy theory is going to be. 
because I want the organic reaction that you give me. So when I, when I lay it out there, you have no idea what's coming. Well, no, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to take every word in, and I'm like, wow, okay, I <laughs> guess I never thought of that. Yeah, and but, I've I've seen I've seen the video footage of um, actual people, uh, one law enforcement officer, one law enforcement officer who was fired for reporting a UFO sighting, um, and another person as a paranormal investigator actually go out there to Skinwalker Ranch and be on the perimeter and do the research and actually have some pretty incredible findings um, of sightings of UFOs and sightings of of bright objects going right straight into the mountain, almost like there was a landing facility in the mountain on Bigelow Ranch. It's pretty crazy. That is crazy. If you watch that, you're going to at least say to yourself, something's going on here. I'm not sure what, but something's going on here. So for our fans and our friends and our promoters and our wrestlers who are listening, check that stuff out because I think it's going to bog your mind. I think once again, Nick, we hit it out of the park with our guest Matt Griffin tonight. And uh, I think we left the people with this uh, saying, hmm, I got to check this out. Well, that's where I'm going. I'm going to check it out. (laughs) You check it out. We'll talk about it this week. Okay, Q, listen. TripleTRadio.com, guys. I want you to check out the wrestling schools. Monster Factory is officially there. It's all a click away. Of course, the show's available on every, I would say, every podcast platform there is. We want you there. We are excited. We are adding new content every day, guys. If you're a wrestler or a promoter, join the join. The official part of uh, promoters and wrestlers sign up, be a part, update stuff. You heard the red line, good.com. You want to go there 15% with the cue ball discount code. You want to check it all out, guys. All October, we're supporting Stress Awareness Month here on com. Cue ball is lining up, guys, left, right, and center. You heard the conspiracy theory. You, I love you. I thank you. Give the final word, my friend. Sounds good. Listen, folks, listen to us next Tuesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for another edition of Triple T Radio. We'll have exciting uh, guest Jack Lord. We'll also have a new conspiracy theory at the end of the show, folks. And uh, we hope to see you there once again at TripleTRadio.com. Don't miss it. Peace out, Nick. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon.